Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's Word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn His truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. Let me invite you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 5. Pick up where we left off, John chapter 5, verse 30 through 47. John chapter 5, verses 30 through 47. We'll see that Jesus puts himself on trial today. Follow along as I read. I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies of me. And I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. But the testimony which I receive is not from men. But I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a lamp that was burning and was shining. And you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom he sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. And you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another, and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Let's bow together. Dear Lord, open our hearts to these truths. Lord, help us to see the the ample evidence that Jesus truly is who he says he is. He is God the Son, he is sent from above, he has power from you, and Lord, he is Savior and Lord of our lives. God is in our study today, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, a question that the world continues to ask and has been asking since Jesus walked on the face of this earth is, who is Jesus? Well, if you look at a lot of people, they just simply say that he was a good man, he did good things, he had good teachings, he ministered to many people in need. But if you just leave it at that, then you have to say, well, what about his claims of being deity? Because he says, my father, not our father, but my father, claiming equality with God. And later on he said, I and the father are one. Obviously he is claiming to be equal with God. So is he a delusional, is he insane, is he misleading, or is he truly is who he says he is? So if you believe that at least Jesus was sent by God, well, he would maybe be added to the many prophets of the Old Testament. See, 
God sent many prophets, Elijah, Elisha, uh, all the different prophets that we have uh, books written by. And each and every one of them did great and mighty works of God. They were obedient to the word of God. They preached the word of God. Some even did tremendous miracles and signs as they were obedient to God. So many would look at Jesus and see his works and his miracles and his teachings and say, well, he's just simply a prophet. But there was never a prophet that claimed to be equal with God. They always pointed to God as being the source of all that they did. But Jesus is saying that he is God, he is equal to God, and he does what my father, not our father, but my father has instructed him to do. And so we have to look at this. In our world today, there are multitudes, millions, who do not believe that Jesus is who he claims to be. In the day that Jesus was walking the face of this earth, in this passage, the very religious leaders who should have readily recognized Jesus as being the Messiah were the very ones who were rejecting him. They're the ones who accused him of breaking the Sabbath because he did wonderful miracle signs by healing on the Sabbath, bringing someone back from the dead, and many other signs and wonders. They claimed that he was blasphemous because he claimed to be equal with God. So they were not willing to look at the evidence about Jesus they were not willing to go back and look at the testimonies of the prophets and see that Jesus fulfilled those prophecies of old. Instead, they had their own expectation of who the Messiah would be. They thought that he would be a military or a political ruler who would come in and, and reclaim ownership of Jerusalem over Rome. They had different concepts of who the Messiah would be. And so... Even though they rejected him, Jesus basically says, okay, if you're putting me on trial, if you're making accusations against me, if you're accusing me of breaking the Sabbath, if you're accusing me of blaspheming against God, then I need to defend myself. And so the very first thing he says in verse 30 is something he basically is repeated from verse 19. Verse 19 says, Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. Verse 30 says, I can do nothing of my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. We see Jesus saying, my Father, my Father, my Father, over and over again. You know, I am the Son of my Father, God. And here he says, and it is he, God, who has sent me. And so he keeps saying, I cannot do anything independent of myself. All I do is in direct obedience to God the Father. So in other words, if, if Jesus heals on the Sabbath, guess what? It is God the Father's will for him to do that. Because he cannot and will not do anything other than the Father's will. Then verse 31, there's a testimony that doesn't count. Look at verse 31. If I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. Now, think about a courtroom scene. Very seldom does the one who is accused actually take the witness stand. Do you understand why? The reason why is because anything they say would be considered prejudice or bias because they're the ones being charged with some kind of crime. And so, obviously, they're going to say they didn't do it 
Because they're in this trial, instead of pleading guilty, they're pleading not guilty. So nobody's going to take their word as true. So it's very rare for somebody to take their take the stand in their own behalf because that also opens them up to cross-examination by the, uh, the prosecutor, which is usually just chomping at the bits to try to get to them. So Jesus is saying, I cannot use my own testimony. I know who I am, but you already have rejected me, so my own testimony is going to be considered as bias. You're going to say, well, he's just lying. But here are other testimonies. Verse 32 is actually kind of a, a continuation after verses 37 and 38. It says that the Father testifies. Verse 32 says, There is another who testifies of me, and I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. Now, it doesn't say God doesn't. Now, in the, in the Greek that the Old Testament was written in, there are actually two different Greek words for the word uh, another. One of them is heteros, which means another of a different source. Heteros, another of a different source. In other words, somebody else that's different from me would be testified. But that's not the word that's used here. The word that's used here is alos, which means another of the same sort. Jesus is saying there's another who is like me. We are equal who is giving testimony about me. And I believe, and I'm testifying that his testimony is true. And so we're already getting an illusion that God is testifying for his own son, Jesus. But then we go to a human testimony. We're already seeing that Jesus is pointing to the heavens, to God. But how about an earthly testimony? Well, look at verses 33 through 35. We're going to see that he calls on John the Baptist as a witness. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. But the testimony which I receive is not from men, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was the light which was burning and was shining, and you were willing to rejoice in a while in his light. Now, here's John the Baptist. He was that kind of cross between prophet from the Old Testament to the New. God used him to prophesy that here comes the Messiah, pointing to Jesus himself. You remember John was baptizing at the Jordan River, basically saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And people were coming repenting. And basically by saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he was pointing to the fact that the Messiah was about to come. And then when Jesus walked out towards him, he stopped everything and pointed to Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. He's basically saying, Behold, the Messiah is here. Now, when John was first doing his job, pointing people to the coming Messiah, even the Jewish religious leaders were somewhat excited. Now, they, they didn't like him after... He called them a brood of vipers and a few other choice words. But they believed that it was good that he was making these statements because here's what was happening. He saw, or they saw, that John was creating an excitement about the coming Messiah, something they were probably struggling to do themselves. And so they liked it that John was creating excitement about the coming Messiah. But when he pointed to Jesus... And said, Behold the Lamb of God. They looked at Jesus and said, You're not it. 
You don't meet our criteria of the Messiah. And so, just like he said, the testimony which I received is not a man. Said that in verse 35, he was the lamp. The lamp that was pointing to the light that was coming. He was the lamp that was burning, that was shining. And you were willing to rejoice for a while in that lamp. So John obviously testified that Jesus, this Messiah. Well, is there a greater testimony than John? Well, Jesus basically leaves the human aspect and begins looking at the supernatural aspect. Look at verse 36. We're going to see the testimony of the works and signs and miracles that Jesus performed. Verse 36 says, But the testimony which I have is greater than that of the testimony of John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify about me, that the Father has sent me. Notice how many times he says, The Father has sent me the Son. Every time he is pointing to the fact that I am equal, I am part of the Godhead. Now he's saying in this verse, there is a testimony greater than John. And it is the works that Jesus is doing, has done, will continue to do, and is doing at that time. What are the works? Well, John uses the word signs about seven or eight different times through his work. And he keeps pointing to miracles that Jesus does. Raising the dead, healing the sick, feeding the, the multitudes. We're going to get to that next week. And we look and we see that he is pointing to these signs, these works, these miracles as evidence that he is sent of God. Now, is Jesus the only one who's ever done a miracle? Obviously not. Both Elijah and Elisha both raised people from the dead. Those are powerful signs. But does, that, does that mean that they were Messiah? No, it just simply means that God had given them power to do these miraculous signs. Why? To point to the authority of what they were speaking. That God had given them the authority that whatever they were speaking was of God. And the proof was the power of God being worked through them. And that's why many people look at Jesus more as a prophet than as Messiah. Because Jesus was doing miracles very much like these men of old. But he's saying that, yes, it is the power from on high. Do you remember that Nicodemus came to him and said, Lord, we know you're a, you're a sent of God because no one else can do these works that you do. And so there's an evidence from his works that he is of God. So the question mark is, if Jesus claims to be equal with God, God is my father, not just our father, but he is my father and I am his son then how can you deny the, that fact? If you see the works that Jesus does and says, those are from the power of God into this man. Well, God would not give a man these powers if he claimed them for himself because he ne- these Old Testament prophets never claimed the power to be of themselves. They always pointed back to God and saying, God did this through me. But Jesus is saying, I have been given this power. I, my Father, has given me, the Son, this power. So if it's evident that these powers of healing, these signs, these wonders, these works are of God, and Jesus is making these claims, then how can you deny his claims? So the works that Jesus did were a powerful testimony that he is of God. 
Now we look and we see we see the his own testimony. We see a little bit of God's testimony. We see the the testimony of John the Baptist. We see the testimony of his works. Now we're going to go back to God the Father. Look at verse 37 and 38. And the Father who sent me, he has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom he sent. The Father who sent me. Again, he doesn't say God, Yahweh, sent me as a prophet. He says, my Father, the Father sent me. And he says, he has testified of me. God has testified of me. When did God testify of Jesus? Do you remember when John the Baptist baptized Jesus? What happened when he came up out of the water? The Holy Spirit, in the like a dove, came and descended upon him. And a voice from heaven says, Behold, my son, in whom I am well pleased. Yes, God has testified of Jesus. There were probably multitudes of people on the banks who witnessed that. There is ample evidence that God has testified of Jesus. He would not be given him the powers to do these works if Jesus was not of God. And if Jesus claims that he is not only of God, but he is God the Son, the Son of God, then here is the evidence. God the Father speaks and testifies that he is who he says he is. Now we look and we again see the multitudes of a people in the Old Testament that God had used, but none of them claimed to be equal with God. But Jesus does. And so now he is saying that even the Father, God, testifies directly about me, and he has. Well, the next verse, verse 39, may or may not be a full witness or a testimony, but I believe it is. It's the Scriptures that testify about Jesus. Jesus says, you search the Scriptures, because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. The scriptures as a whole. Now, the Jewish religious leaders did not have the New Testament. When John wrote this, some of it, most, much of it had already been written, but not all. But they were looking at the Old Testament. From Genesis through Malachi. They knew it. These religious leaders were experts at the Word of God. They probably had the first five books of the Bible memorized to at least a certain percentage because they saw that as being the the works of Moses, the law of Moses. And so they saw that as the uh, critical mass of the Scriptures. But they knew the prophecies. They knew the writings. They knew all about what God had presented to them. And Jesus is saying, you have searched the scriptures, yet you're not seeing me. But I'm telling you that these very scriptures testify about me. Well, obviously they do. How many times have we gone back and looked at Isaiah 53 and looked at the suffering servant and seen how perfectly that mimics Jesus and his death on the cross? We look at all the different prophets that prophesied of the coming Messiah. 
And Jesus matches each and every single one of those prophecies. So Jesus is saying, you've searched the scriptures, you know the scriptures, yet you're denying that they say anything about me. And I'm testifying right here and right now that they do testify about me. Here's basically what he's saying is, you just don't want to admit that they testify about me. Then Jesus actually spends some time bringing some condemnation about their failure to see the evidence. The evidence is right there in front of them. But they ignore it. They're basically saying, I don't see it. Here's why. Look at verses 40 through 44. Here's Jesus' condemnations. And you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourself. I have come from my in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another, and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Here's what Jesus is saying. Not only have you seen the scriptures, read the scriptures, but you're denying them. Why? Basically, you're unwilling to accept the truth. You know the truth. It's right there in black and white. You, you've got the scrolls. You've got the, the parchments to read. Yet you're unwilling to believe the truth. And here's what he says. You are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. And he then later says... In verse 42, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. Now, this past Wednesday night, I basically, we're talk, we were talking about uh, scriptures and we were talking about uh, prayer. I said, if somebody wrote you a love letter and you never read it and you expected to have a good relationship with that person, is that a good way to do it? To never read the love letter that they write to you. Well, we're talking about the need for reading the scriptures as a part of prayer. This is God's love letter to us from Genesis through Revelation. And basically what Jesus is saying is you have read, you have studied, you memorized the scriptures, yet the love of God is not in you. In other words, you're scholars. You've got the intellect. You know what the scripture is saying, but it has never traveled this 12 inches from your brain to your heart. You, have, you do not have what it takes inside of you to believe. You have rejected because you don't want to hear it. Here's basically what he's saying. You really don't want anybody else to be over you. You want to be in control of your own lives. You don't want to have anybody else in authority over you. You basically read and study the scriptures, and yet you control your own lives. And we see that if you look at the, the Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees, they lived because they wanted others to respect them. They wanted to have control over so many others. Basically, they took the Ten Commandments and the, the laws of Moses, and they added multitudes of other rules and regulations to try to make sure that people obeyed the laws of Moses. And if they didn't, oh, no, no. You're breaking our laws. You're not doing things right. They want to have power and control over other people. Well, Jesus said in verse 41, 
I do not receive glory from men. But you, everything you do, is looking for the glory from others, men. Well, how do we know that's true? If you look at the condemnations that Jesus gave and Paul gave and others did against the, the, the religious leaders, he called them whitewashed tombs. He basically said, you, you look good on the outside, but you're filthy inside. And then they gave examples. He said, you get out on the street corner and you raise your hands with a bold voice and you pray to God just so that people will look and hear you. To draw attention to yourself. And when you go over to the collection plate, you make sure that it's made out of metal and you drop your money from way up on high so it clings and clangs so that everybody will hear every single coin that hits it. You do it to be seen for the glory of man. You do all these things so that others will look at you. Look at what you're wearing. They wore the regalia of the priesthood, of the scribes, of the Pharisees. They wanted people to see them as they walked down the street and to pay homage to them because they saw that they were of important stature. What did Jesus wear? A simple cloak. He looked like everybody else walking down the street. He's saying, you want the glory of men instead of the glory of God. What did he say in verse 41? I do not receive glory from men. He said, you shouldn't either, but that's all that you get. Verse 44, and you do not believe when you receive glory from one another, and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God. Now, Jesus is about to bring forth the most powerful, well, God is the most powerful testimony, but in the religious leader's mind, here's the most powerful testimony. Moses. Look at verses 45 through 47. Do you not think that I will accuse you before my father? Obviously, Jesus just accused them before the father of not wanting the glory of God, but glory of man. He says, the one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. See, the religious leaders put their entire livelihood in the words of Moses. The laws of Moses. They used the law of Moses to control people's lives. They used it as their tool to hold um, hold the people basically in slavery. And it was they were the ones that determined whether a person was doing right or wrong. They were the ones who would cause people to have to pay penalties, do different things if they were not completing all the rules and regulations that they had set forth. And so Moses was their hero. They looked back at Moses and they looked and saw that Moses was the one who went up on the mountain and received the Ten Commandments. He was the one that heard the very voice of God. Not only the Ten Commandments, but Moses wrote the law, what we consider the first five books of the Bible. And we see that Moses... Not only did that, but God had called him and used him to, to bring the people of Israel out of the captivity from Egypt, bring them into that promised land. And so we look and we see Moses was their hero. There's no doubt about it that anything that Moses said, they would understand, they would know, and they would claim as being authoritative. 
But here's what Jesus says. Do you not think that I will accuse you before the Father? The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. If you do not believe Moses, you would, uh, if you, uh, sorry, for if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Jesus is using some trick words. He's saying, if you believe Moses, then you've got to believe me because Moses wrote about me. But if for some reason, you religious leaders, some reason that you did not believe Moses, which I know is not the fact, this is really why you won't believe my words. So he's saying, the only way that you can't believe my words is to say that you don't believe Moses. And I like to hear a religious leader of the Jewish faith say, I don't believe Moses. So Jesus is saying, here's Moses, the one person that you respect with all your heart. The one person that you tout as being the one who sets the laws. The one who has basically you count on as the way to receive eternal life. See, they they believe that their only way to receive salvation, eternal life, was by keeping the law. That's why they added so many rules and regulations to the laws to try to keep it. Here's what Jesus is saying. Moses wrote about me. If you believe the words of Moses, then you have to believe me. Now, did Moses really write about Jesus? Well, there are many passages that Moses wrote. doesn't say the Messiah. does not say Jesus, obviously. But if you read it in the context, you obviously see Jesus. One of those passages is Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 18. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from, a, from among you, from your countrymen, and you will listen to him. This is according to all that you ask of the Lord your God in Horeb on the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord. Let me not see the great fire anymore, or I will die. And the Lord said to me, They have spoken well. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I commanded him. Speaking of Jesus, the coming Messiah. Well, going back even further, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the hill. This was when God was condemning the serpent in Genesis chapter 3. The one who has the enmity is Jesus. Satan will definitely try to bruise his heel, but Jesus will crush his head. And we see that fulfilled later on. So we've seen that Jesus is being accused, accused of breaking the Sabbath, accused of blasphemy against God. And now he calls his own witnesses. He calls John the Baptist. He points to the works that God is using him to do. He points to God himself as his testimony. He points to the scriptures that these men would know. Inside, outside, backwards, forwards, upside down. And then he pointed to Moses. Five different witnesses. Five witnesses that they cannot refute. Now, here's the situation. Jesus himself brought forth ample evidence. 
there are people in our world today that claim to be religious people, claim to be even Christians, claim to be preachers of the word, who really don't believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Many just think, yeah, he was a good guy, taught some really good things. Obviously, God used him some ways to do some reckless works, but at best he was just a prophet. A lot of people just cannot understand how a man who walked on the face of this earth could say that he is God the Son. It's hard for our minds to comprehend that, let's be honest. But every piece of evidence points back to that fact when Jesus says, my God, and I am his Son, he meant it, and there's ample evidence to hold that up. So the question is, personally, what do we do with Jesus? Do we believe that he truly is Son of God, equal with God, the power to forgive, the power to save, the power to give eternal life? Or is he just like the Jews, just another man, not worthy to be bowed down to, not worthy to allow to have authority over our lives? Who is he? Well, more than likely, you may or may not have somebody in your family you may or might not have a next-door neighbor or, or a co-worker, but there are people around us that don't know what to do with Jesus. And here's the fact. Many of them will finally come to the point and say, yeah, I think he is who he says he is. But just like the, the religious leaders, they're not willing to accept him as Lord. They're not willing to say, yes, I want him to have authority over my life. I'm not willing to say, yes, Jesus, come and be my Lord, my Savior. See, that's the problem with humanity. We want to be in control of our own lives. We want to say what we can and cannot do. We don't want anybody else to control or have authority over us. We buck the system as much as we can. And to have somebody like Jesus who says, not only do I want some authority, I want all authority over your life. There's a lot of people say, I can't go that far. Uh, I want you to save me from my sins, but I don't want you to be my Lord. I don't want you to have control, authority over my life. I, d- I just want to say, I need saving for my sins, and that's good enough. You, you can save me from my sins, that'll give me eternal life. No, it's not enough. Romans 10, 9 and 10. That if you confess that Jesus is Lord, understand that. That is saying, I am surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and believe that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Both sides. Salvation through confession and Lordship through surrender. Both are necessity. So if Jesus is who he says he is, are we willing to... For him to be in total authority over our lives. That's who he says he is. He is God. He has authority whether we want him to or not. If we reject him, just like John 3, 18 says, that he did not come into the world to to judge the world, but to that the world may be saved through him, <clears throat> that those who believe in him have salvation. But those who reject him have judged themselves already. 
So if we reject Jesus, then his judgment is already upon us. The only good thing is we're still alive. We still have an opportunity to change that decision. There are people around you that have rejected Jesus as Lord, and they still have an opportunity. We shared last week that once death comes, then comes the judgment. There's nothing we can do to change our stance. So there's evidence. There's a book that Josh McDowell wrote years ago called uh, The Evidence That Demands a Verdict. This is the evidence that demands a verdict. What say you of Jesus? Is he just a good man? Is he somebody that died just to save you from your sins? Or is he Lord? Let's bow together. Dear Lord, we come to you realizing that this trial has some high stakes. The outcome of it determines our eternity. Is Jesus who he says he is? Or did he deceive? If he is who he says he is, then what do we do with him? Do we receive him as Savior and Lord of our lives? Bowing before him. Worshiping him. Surrendering our lives to Him, confessing our sins to Him, receiving His gift of forgiveness in eternal life? Or do we keep control of our lives to ourselves, thinking that maybe if we just say, I'm sorry for what I've done, that you'll save us, but we're not willing to to bow before you? Jesus, you are worthy of worship and praise. You're worthy of of all glory and honor. The only way we can do that is to surrender ourselves before you. Lord, thank you for your gift of salvation and eternal life that comes when we confess our sins and claim you as Lord. Lord, help us to know how to witness to others so that they can understand the truth about Jesus, that he truly is Savior and Lord. Help us, Lord, to share the truth in a way that others understand. And, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will draw them to salvation and eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.